Richardson. Stopped by Platt. Here's Steve Bold. And it's Adams. Put through by Bold. Would you believe it? That sums it all up. everyone and welcome back to another episode of that sums it all up hope everyone has had a lovely christmas and most importantly you and yours are staying safe and healthy arsenal had a good boxing day walloping norwich 5-0 at carrow road will be going into the new year 2022 in fourth position who would have thought it johnny's back with us obviously we're going to talk norwich quickly and then we're going to give our 2021 reflections before finishing with a manchester city preview johnny good to have you back on the podcast where are we today jamaica london tell me back in london as of about the last 10 hours we're just chatting off off air landed this morning about 8 a.m literally woke up two hours ago from a nap got a bit of jet lag still but hopefully the naps sort of killed it and tomorrow i'll I'll feel fine. I'll test negative, hopefully, from, from my PCR that I went and had today, straight from landing. And and then we're good to go because then I can actually try and get to the Emirates on New Year's Day, which would be good. But um, we'll, we'll see. And who knows if that game will go ahead. I'm kind of hoping it doesn't because <laughs> let's just <laughs> that 3-0 defeat with 18% possession out the way for as long as possible especially now Mikel's tested positive I, I, I texted you I said it's very reminiscent of March 2020 when Mikel tested positive and then we had a game against City in March postponed and then as you know everything sort of followed from then onwards but other than that I'm all good how are you doing? I was a bit uh, not not upset, a bit annoyed that the Arsenal game got cooled off just in the sense that I was looking forward to it after Christmas but of course, the uh, the safety and sort of standards of COVID protocol are, are more important. And also, you know, we would have had less than 48 hours between games. So perhaps I think that's a benefit to us. Man City game, I don't think I'm going, but I'm not sure if I'd want to, just because, as you say, we, we don't tend to fare particularly well against Manchester City. Customary 3-0 drubbing. Um, normally they get a goal literally within the first two, three minutes. Raheem Sterling seems to love it. Um, terrified of Kevin De Bruyne at the Emirates as well. As you say, um, it would be a good day out if if um, if the game goes ahead. And obviously, Arteta's tested positive. Just as you were saying that, it reminded me of, you know, I was actually, I had a ticket to that Manchester City game. It would, would have been the first away game I, I would have gone to. Um, I still haven't been to an away game, so... Yeah, that was uh, that was crazy, and now he's tested. He's tested positive again. So, just while we're on COVID, um, yeah, I'm I'm sort of well. Uh, I hope you and you and your family are well as well. Um, but the Wolves game, as we mentioned, were, was postponed. Uh, it wasn't the only one this week in the Premier League. Uh, Leeds Aston Villa was postponed, and then yesterday Everton Newcastle two. I, I know Sean Dyche was talking about uh, having a couple of positive cases as well. So who knows how that might affect the Manchester United game tomorrow. But knowing Manchester United and their perhaps influence uh, of on the powers that be, I don't think that one will be postponed. But um, Arsenal perspective, it was quite crazy before Arteta tested positive. Clearly he was hanging out with all our right backs because all four players who could play right back, I mean, bar Ben White, 
um, tested positive. So, I mean, who's that that we've got positive then at the moment or rather recently? Matthew um, Maitland-Niles, although he's about to join up with Jose Mourinho in, in Italy. Um, but yeah, Cedric, who's, you know, as we found out, my favourite player. He's <laughs> <laughs> uh, not, by the way, categorically. And, uh, and Chambers, I, it's weird because I think just going back to the Wolves game being postponed, it is, it's obviously for us, it's not the worst game in the world because of the turnaround. It was under 24 hours from when the, uh, 48 hours from when the Norwich game ended to when the Wolves game would have kicked off. But it sort of unfolded weirdly quickly because we sort of finished the, the game against Norwich, we won 5 0, and with, it felt like within half an hour of full time, it was breaking on Twitter that the Wolves game was going to be postponed. And I'm interested to know how many Wolves players actually have COVID. They've got a number of injuries, but we spoke about the criteria. And I don't think injuries should play a part personally. I think if you've got six, seven, eight first team injuries, that's why you've got an under 23 squad. Fine if you've got seven, eight players isolating because of COVID, but I don't think Wolves do. I think they've only got a few. And really, you know, they should have. I can't say they should be made to play the game if, if it's going to jeopardise public health and the health of other players, then they shouldn't. But if it's just them combining a few COVID cases with a lot of injuries, it's that seems a bit ridiculous. Yeah, I I mean, it's strange because I'm still unclear as to what the official um, you know protocols are. A lot more now I'm I'm hearing oh, you know, you need 13 outfield players and a goalkeeper, but we still haven't had official word from the Premier League. Or maybe that was the the sort of new protocols that that is the, that's the minimum requirement to, to, to get a game ahead going. Um, but yeah, I think Wolves also, they have quite a small squad. And so it's sort of like, well, if they have a few cases, I don't really buy the argument of like whether it's important players or not. If you've got a few cases, then then it sh- they should be uh, weighted as equally as important as you know any other players. But um, yeah, the whole injury thing as well. I think maybe clubs are now starting to realise that oh well, if we've got a few cases and a few injuries, then that adds up to a certain number, and then we can get games sort of postponed as and as and when we want. I hope that you know the sporting integrity remains uh, intact. And that, you know, each team is sort of given a level, level playing field. But, you know, something, someone like Burnley have got, I think, four games sort of that have been postponed. Um, whether that will benefit them or not, I'm not entirely sure. But, I mean, you know, Spurs are playing catch-up as well. They're no longer in the Conference League. Um, I know they've got the Carabao Cup uh, semi-final against Chelsea to focus on. But, you know, it'll be interesting to see how this pans out and whether some teams will benefit more because for example Arsenal have benefited from having the games go ahead getting the points on the board um obviously the Wolves game was postponed but apart from that you know we've been playing well and a lot of other teams have been interrupted so yeah I think um hopefully if the Man City game does go ahead which I think Arsenal fans are sort of praying that maybe it doesn't you know, hopefully we'll have a few of those guys back. I mean, I say a few of those guys, I mean, Tommy Asu, um, because Maitland-Niles, as you say, is supposedly closing in on a loan move with a view to making it permanent for something like 15 million euros is what I've heard, but I don't think that's confirmed. Um, yeah, I've heard 
12 million from somewhere, 15 million, I think. I think James mentioned 15 million euros or someone mentioned it on one of the, the arse casts or something. But see, look, he's not going to sign a new contract with us. So at this stage, if we can get north of 10, 12 million, it's probably not a bad deal. I just don't like the idea of strengthening a Mourinho team personally. Yeah, well, I mean, look, I'd rather he goes to, you know, Italy. I'd like to see him do well at the end of the day and it would be quite quite amusing to see him sort of link up with Mourinho. Obviously, I don't really want Arsenal players to play for Mourinho, but if they're going to pay a sort of, you know, rising to 15 million euro fee, I think, you know, that was sort of what, quite close to what Wolves were offering a couple of years ago, like 15 million pounds. And we think about how his values plummeted, but if we can get that sort of money... For Maitland-Niles, he's not going to sign a new deal. He's sort of reintegrated and then not. So clearly he's not really fancied by Arteta. Um, I think there's issues with consistency and application. Um, then, look, we, we need to make sure that we get that money back. We were talking recently about Eddie Nketiah and how we need to try and do the same with him. Um, you know, get value from these guys that... The, thing that we've done quite well recently but I think Albert Sammy Lukonga he's he was back in the squad against Norwich I think so he's back which is great we're going to need him uh, once Thomas Partey Mohamed Elneny uh, go off to AFCON but I think the good news is that they will be around for the City game and previously they weren't going to be so that's all good um, let's look at Norwich then uh, we won 5-0 on the road at Carrow Road Uh I think the last time we won 5-0 in any competition, home or away, was Arsene Wenger's last home game against Burnley. I might be wrong there. There might have been a cup game at some point. Um, but that's something that comes to mind, and I think I read that somewhere. We obviously beat West Brom on the road. I saw mm. this last year, 4-0. Uh, that was a sort of uh, the turning point in a way. Um, mm. oh, I think that was after the Boxing Day game against Chelsea. But... What were your what were your feet what are your initial reflections on the result and the performance? It's tricky because and I was actually having this conversation with my dad after the game, because I was like, well, that's a great win. And and just briefly, it's our biggest Premier League win since we beat Burnley 5-0 at home on Wenger's last uh, appearance at the Emirates. But we have won. We beat West Brom 6-0 earlier this season in the Carabao Cup, and we have won a few other games outside of the league by a larger margin. But no, I was having the same my dad and I was like saying that's a great win. We really needed that. You know, score four at Ellen Road and then five at Carrow Road. It's still, you know, much better than sort of scraping a 1-0 win in either game. And he was like, yeah, but we, I expect us to be doing this. And he's obviously old, much older than me and is brought up on sort of the all-conquering Arsenal and really was there for the Invincibles and the George Graham era and the early and, and the late 90s. Uh, under Wenger where we had the double-double in 1998 and then 2002. So maybe his perspective is is right. These teams are tiny. We're like the mighty Arsenal. Why shouldn't we win 4-5-0 against relegation-threatened teams? But I was really pleased with it. I thought we played very good football. And I, rem- and I remember two years ago, or just over two years ago, going away to Carrow Road um, and drawing 2-2 in the Premier League and we were shit and it was like I mean it was Freddie Lundberg's first game um, mm. as interim manager after Emery got fired and Aubameyang scored two goals but we we were really lucky to, to draw that game I, I think Leno had a great game that day if I remember rightly Todd Cantwell sort of tore us apart 
so in two years we've gone from from that to a team that was just sliced through them every time like like a hot knife through butter it was it was really pleasing to watch and I don't know about you but you can't really not enjoy this Arsenal team at the moment they're all so young they're all together they're all helping each other out it's it's just it's fantastic to see Saka Saka's first ever brace in a game um Smith Rowe just seems like he's obligated now to score from his first touch coming off the bench Martinelli sort of unlucky to have his goal ruled out although it was marginally offside Erdegaard is just an unbelievable run of form at the moment Tierney's looking back to his best it's it's already clicking and it will probably not do anything against City because they're much much better than us but it was it was a great it was a great performance and I was I was really happy because you can only beat who's put in front of you at the end of the day Absolutely. I think, you know, we look back to last season and, you know, I go to the Leeds game and when we went to Leeds away last year, I think we drew that game nil-nil or one-all. That's when Pepe got sent off for that yeah. head half headbutt on Alioski. Um, but, you know, I know they were injury ravaged and, and all the rest of it, but we went there and, as you said, we sliced through them. Uh, we put them to the sword and it was these young players sort of finding their devastating attacking sort of killer instinct and and clinical edge that we saw again in the Norwich game and I think yes we should be beating these teams but we haven't been beating them sort of consistently enough in a way that is sort of um, reliable you know like we might get a win against a, a Norwich for example at home you know, this was the first game when we sort of integrated our new signings, but it was a very sort of cagey affair and we just about managed to get over the line, ironically, with the Bamiyang scoring the goal, I think it was. You know, in the return fixture, we go to Carrow Road, we are imposing ourselves, we're dominating the ball, we're scoring goals, we're playing good football, uh, we're, you know, we're full of energy, we're taking shots on, we're creating chances, all these things which, you know, Mikel Arteta's side have sort of been characterised as not doing, and I think these games are so important for these young players to, to sort of, for their belief, you know, they're, they're super talented, but, you know, there were plenty of games last season with these young players playing where there just wasn't, wasn't the goals, there wasn't the chances, there wasn't the, the sort of uh, high XG and all the rest of it. And now they're creating chances for each other. They're, they're laying on assists, they're scoring goals. And, you know, we've got sort of Saka and Smith-Rowe on course for comfortably hitting sort of double figures for goals and assists. Erdegaard's looking a real uh, class act at the moment, sort of what were you expecting from him? He's really grown into his own. He's really oiling the uh, oiling the machine. Um, Lacazette has been very good as well, sort of holding together, pressing from the front, setting by setting, leading by example, sorry. Martinelli, as you say, who's unlucky not to score, but I thought his work off the ball and on it was... You know, he was a real thorn in the Norwich side. And yeah. off the ball. I mean amazing, amazing. The, the work rate and the the energy. And you know, I notice he's he's definitely a lot more sort of physically developed. He's he's challenging in the air. I think he's actually quite good at winning the ball in the air. Um, there's a real fight about these young players. You know, Saka sort of left a little leg in, and Martinelli is really tracking back when uh Norwich are sort of fighting us uh on and off the ball. And um yeah, I think it's great to see. It's super enjoyable, as you said. And 
I think it's really important to see these young players playing well um, and scoring loads of goals. And, you know, as, as we, um, as we go into the Man City game, which, you know, is sort of an outlier at that, again, the result there is not going to determine where our season goes, but, you know, we've scored 19 goals in our last five games across all competitions. Uh, we con- conceded two, 50% of those goals, or sorry, 50% of those goals, the goals that we've scored for the whole season have been scored by players under the age of 21. So it, it's really showing where this team's direction is going and something that we can all get behind because you've got more patience with the young players, don't you? Yeah, completely. Especially young players that come through your academy and have been at the club since the age of nine. I mean, I think even Charlie Patino, who was on the bench against Norwich, had his name sung round Carrow Road by the the away fan. So, I mean, there's, there is, for the first time in a long time, just a united, harmonious atmosphere around the club. And what I hope is, look, if the sort of inevitable happens on New Year's Day against City, it doesn't all blow up and we're not all calling for our heads ahead and calling for you know, experienced signings in January, we can now actually see the project. And and I actually thought um, Gunner blog, James McNicholas, made a really good point saying, look, for those Arsenal fans um, who have stood by Arteta and had patience, this is the time where, where you can sort of, I don't know if basking it is the right word, but just sort of, take some enjoyment out of the fact that the Arteta project right now is is working and look a year ago we were 15th in the league and looking like we could even be pulled into some sort of relegation scrap uh, a year later we're fourth by five six points and we um we really do deserve to be there and I still don't think we'll finish fourth but it's testament to the work Arteta's done on and off the pitch, clearing out aging players, changing the culture internally, producing good football on the on the pitch, bringing through academy players that we who have stuck by him can actually just say, look, this is this is really working right now. Because the easy position is always to call for the manager to leave. I know I'm going off on a bit of a tangent, but all managers are eventually sacked or in the very, very rare case, like Sir Alex Ferguson, they retire. But if you hold the position they, they need to leave, eventually you're going to be right. The tougher position is actually saying, no, this guy's got a vision. I can see what he's doing. I'm prepared to stick with him. And right now we're, we're reaping the rewards of that. And long may it continue. Absolutely. Well, I think, you know, let's, let's finish off with this Norwich conversation and then get into a sort of more broad discussion about our recent form and that extending sort of across the two seasons into the calendar year, as it is nearly the end of uh, 2021. Um, Yeah. So Ben White moved to right back uh, in the Norwich game. I thought he did quite well. I thought holding did well at center back as well. It was a shame about Tommy Yasu, but he had COVID and really maybe that would give him a bit more time to sort of recover and have a little break because he was, Arteta was saying that he was, he was knackered and fatigued. And I think hopefully this will do him, um, do him well. Um, Bakayo Saka was was excellent. Um, just a dream on that right hand side. Um, confident, taking people on. I think you know he hasn't. He has been chipping in in an attacking sense with a couple of goals and assists of late. But 
you know, he's been looking so dangerous and threatening whenever he gets the ball on that right-hand side. And against Norwich, he he had uh, Brandon Williams on toast and, you know, he could have got, he could have got a couple against Leeds. He did get a couple against Norwich. I think that was, that was so good for him to, to score that, that brace, his first brace for the club. Um, I think he's also now the youngest Arsenal player after Nicholas Anelka to reach 10 Premier League goals or something like that, which is a pretty good achievement considering, you know, the esteem with which Anelka was held in and sort of, you know, what he did for us before moving on. Um, Kieran Tierney scored a great goal from left back. Um, he's sort of seamlessly slotted back into the side. Um, no question about that, really. Lacazette uh, scored a penalty this time after missing one against uh, Leeds or, yeah, he did miss it, didn't he? Or, or was it saved? No, uh, sorry, not Leeds, West Ham. Uh, Fabianski saved it, didn't he? And then Smith Rowe came on. I think that's his fourth consecutive goal from the bench, which yeah. is ridiculous. Um, I mean, he's probably wanting to get more minutes, but at the moment, I think you're you're fine with it. He's he's getting a bit of rest. Martinelli's playing really well. He's he's scoring goals. I mean, it's it's brilliant to see sort of having a a guy come off the bench who who is looking really dangerous and getting on the end of things. Um, before I ask you sort of, yeah, what stood out for you, your main takeaway from the game. I mean, for me, seeing Thomas Partey have a really good game, uh, was, was very encouraging. Look, I know that Norwich weren't great, but I think having Granite Xhaka alongside Thomas Partey, you see the influence that that has, whether we like Xhaka or not, I think we see what he brings to the team in a positive sense. And I think that sort of, uh, that can be reflected in the way in which Partey's performances improve drastically. Um, you know, he's not holding the midfield all on his own, even though he has been playing deeper than Xhaka, which is perhaps a bit of a surprise. But um, yeah, I thought that that stood out for me as well as Martinelli, even though he wasn't on the score sheet, you know, he was he was excellent along with Saka. Um, so yeah, what, 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 anything else stand out for you before we move on? Yeah, no, I think on Partey, that was definitely a takeaway I had, really, not just from the Norwich game, but also from the Leeds game, is that for the first time, maybe this season, maybe in a, in, in a longer time, our our sort of experienced older players, the, the dads of the team, if you would, are actually leading by example, and the younger players are being the, given the opportunity to follow. And they're also leading in their own way in terms of the goals they're scoring, the assists they're creating, the chances they're creating. But, but you know, Lacazette, Jacques and Partey, there the, are only three starting players above the age of 25 in, in our starting 11 week in, week out. And for the first time, it feels like the three of those players now are consistently putting in performances that match the quality of performance that the sort of the, the kids, for want of a better word, uh, are also putting in. And for a long time, it's felt like the kids, the hair lenders, you know who I'm referring to, or, or the Gabriels and the Ben Whites, who are still young but have been signed, they're sort of dragging the older players with them. It now feels much more cohesive. I think Jacker's return has helped Tierney's form. It's also helped Party's form. And while he definitely cuts a divisive figure in the Arsenal fan base, he, he doesn't in terms of internally with the club. Every coach who's managed Arsenal while Jacques has played for, for us has, has chosen him instantly. All the players take to him, they take to his leadership qualities, they take to his communication. 
qualities. Um, he's a very consistent on-field player. He makes party quite clearly a better player as well. And Lacazette now is, is lasting longer. He's getting more stamina and he's scoring and assisting and, again, putting in the performances that match those of Saka and Emma Smith and Odegaard. So it's more equal. And that, that was a big takeaway, I thought, from, from both the Norwich game and the Leeds game. And um, I didn't watch the West Ham game because I was flying, but also maybe from that game as well. And hopefully, and we need that to continue because we can't be too dependent on on the kids, and we need our uh, our, our senior players, of which there's only three, to to help steady the ship at times and and carry some of them because they they are far less experienced than than Jacka Jacka Laka uh, and Party. So that that was a good one for me. Yeah, absolutely. I mean. Yeah, it's um, it's it's encouraging to see these senior players, even though you know these players have been criticised and and rightly so because of their form and inconsistency over the last year or two. You know, Partey's not really hit the heights that we've expected from him yet. Lacazette has been in and out of the side, um, largely when he does play more, or probably since like Boxing Day, I guess last year. He's actually done pretty well. He's obviously scored quite a few goals last year, but been in and out and and he's not unanimously sort of uh, appreciated by the fan base, I don't think. But Arteta seems to like him. Um, and I think at the moment when he's playing like this, that this is what we need. And also, you know, he's playing for a either a new contract, I mean, most likely away from Arsenal. And um, it's sort of a win-win. I know maybe if he goes on a free at the end of the year, then we're missing out on a fee. But, you know, I think... It's kind of a case of maybe waiting him out, maybe waiting Abamyang out, out now as well. Um, you know, and can I, can I jump in quickly with a slightly controversial take? Yeah, of course. I, I would offer Lacazette a new contract. What, two years? Two years, three years, yes. Yeah, so like, like a genuine contract to keep him at the club. And oh. I would look to move on Abamyang in the summer. And I would say. I think under Wenger, we made quite a good habit of just keeping around very solid squad players who could come in and do a quite clear job quite a lot of the time, whether that was Podolski, Giroud, Walcott, Riziki, um, obviously you had Fabregas, Kleb, Flamini, all different, all different attacking players who did different things. Nazri, Arshavin. Wilshire, Ramsey, there was there was loads. And actually, I think Lacazette, if he's willing to play second fiddle to say a new fifty million pound striker, he adds something both on and off the pitch that's really valuable to this squad. And if we can keep that and his personality remains positive and he keeps teaching the younger players like he's been doing, because they all they all quote him when they're asked you know, who are the major influences in the dressing room, the Smith, Rose, the Saka, they all say lacquer. Um, I would I would keep him around for another few years. Mm. Yeah, he'll, he'll chip in with 15 goals a season as well. But it's, if I had to keep one of Aubameyang and Ketia and Lacazette for next season, Lacazette all day. Mm. Yeah, I know. And I guess you raise, you raise those players' names because I think that's what will 
influence the uh, decision ultimately. It's clear that Arteta is trying to get um, Eddie and Cassius to sign a new contract. It doesn't look like it's going to happen. Um, we don't really know what's happening with Aubameyang, whether he comes back. I mean, there have been a few interviews done with uh, Ben White and Granite Jack. They've sort of addressed the issue of the Aubameyang captaincy and it, they sort of say like, look, you know, it happens and we all just want Aubameyang to come back. So I don't think the door is closed. I don't think the players would be talking about it like that if it was. It's just whether Aubameyang can find a way to make amends or, you know, reintegrate himself and swallow his pride a bit um, or whether we get an offer for him because I, I'm sure we'd entertain it. But, you know, Balogun will be going out on loan probably in January, if definitely for the entirety of next season. Um, Lacazette, look, I think... I would be hesitant just because whether it would be the right call uh, in of its own right with Lacazette, I think we we just need to we need to cut that that tendency to sort of just uh, rely on these guys and and tie ourselves to two three years of players. You know, it's happened too much of late, and we end up getting burnt by it. And we have done over the last few years. And and I do see the value of Lacazette staying a bit longer, but. Um, I guess it's dependent on on the way things work out with our the rest of our strikers, whether we can bring in our, you know, a, a target of ours, what happens with the Bamiyang. But no, I do hear you. I, I I hear the sort of short-term appeal of it. Um, but you know, he's what, he's 30, 31 or something. I don't think you can justify it. He he'll be after, like Willian, you know, Willian was doing an interview recently. He came to Arsenal because Chelsea would only offer him a two-year contract and we'd offer him three. Lacazette will probably be wanting the same, that sort of security. He want three years, and I don't think we should be giving three-year contracts to anyone over the age of 30 anymore. If he were would take a two-year contract, maybe, um, perhaps, but you know, you run the risk of performance levels dropping off. And even if you justify it by saying, like, look, you give him three years, he plays well for the first year, and then you can sell him because he's still got two years left or something like that. But I think we've seen recently that hasn't quite worked out for us with the likes of, uh, I don't know, David Luiz, uh, Mario, Aubameyang, Ozil, uh, and um, who else was I going to say? Someone else. Anyway. Um, yeah, so I I, 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 I... I understand that point. I just see our strike situation as really there's Balogun um, Lacazette, Aubameyang and Ketia as we've sort of mentioned Balogun's going out on loan you've got to take him out of the equation and Ketia looks set to leave on a free to turn down another contract offer within the last month so take him out of the equation Aubameyang's been stripped of the captaincy he's training on his own and this is going to hugely dent his ego. And what do we know about Aubameyang? He's, he's, you know, he's a performer, he's charismatic, he's an ego player. And I don't really see him coming back from this that positively, just because he, I, he might feel sort of almost humiliated by the way it's unfolded. And so that leaves you Lacazette. And we're going to have to keep one of them. And we're more likely to get a substantial fee for Aubameyang because he's still got a few years left in his contract. He's got a higher international pedigree. He's performed in sort of French league at the top level. I know Lacazette has as well, but then also the German league and also the Premier League, whereas Lacazette doesn't have that. And I think Lacazette's uh, personality would let him, he'd be you know happy sort of taking a secondary role 
maybe a two-year contract with a with an option for a third if if the sort of sort of performance metrics are met or KPIs are met. But I, I understand, you know, the we're, we're scarred from giving these players like William and Ozil who are in their thirties three-year deals. I mean, look, William was thirty-two and not thirty, and I think. The other thing is William thirty-two when we gave him the contract. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was—I I tried to make it work in my head, but as you, when you say it like that, and now we know how it transpired. I mean, it's—we just can't be doing that again. But sorry to cut across you. What I will say is that you know this; these young players developing along around Lacazette and clearly his importance both off the pitch but on the pitch as well. You know, these young players can't do it on their own. They need a figurehead. They need someone to sit in that middle because I don't think you want to move Martinelli across I don't think he's ready and also he's playing well on the left Aubameyang we've seen flashes of it um, when he's played up front and then you've got the other guys in behind but I think you know it's not quite clicked in the same way that maybe it has with Lacazette I think some of our best performances have been with Lacazette in the team over the last year with these young players around so maybe it is a case that you keep Lacazette around because it's really important for these young players to develop in the same way that they are with Lacazette sort of, you know, taking the kicks and holding up the play and, you know, scoring the penalties and, you know, sort of just like being a bit of a nuisance, basically, basically diverting the attention away from these youngsters. But but maybe someone else can do that as well. A younger person who you are sort of looking to the future for. Um, But definitely, definitely, we definitely need to sign an hour and out a new starting striker. But... I don't see us turning over all four of those strikers no, in the next few windows. Mm-hmm. And, and, if, and if any of them stays, I see Lacazette as the most obvious choice to stay because he fits the mould of what Arteta wants. His, what he adds off of the pitch in the training ground, in the dressing room, is really valuable. He's, you can see he really has relished being given sort of the de facto captaincy since Aubameyang's been stripped of it. He's always fired up, ready to go uh, in a way that Aubameyang not necessarily was. And, um, and yeah, I, 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 I actually also I like him a lot as an individual, but that's beside the point. I do think he adds value and where giving him a contract extension would be different to Ozo Aubameyang William is it would be under the proviso that he's not a starter. And that's the difference. We, we, we signed Ozil, William and Aubameyang all to new contracts and they were fundamentally right up there on the first names of the team sheets. Lacazette wouldn't be. He would be coming off, you know, with 25 minutes to go and doing a bit part role, but he'd be part of the squad. And, if he, and, and I think per, his personality suggests that he might buy into that because mm. of what he's contributing off the pitch. It's just a thought I, I've sort of been thinking of the last few yeah. days of, and you know, we, we're going to have to keep one of them. And I, yeah, to me, Lacazette's the the more logical choice. Yeah, and I think just to to finish on that, you know, the contracts that have burned us big time, the Williams, the Özil. I mean, it's looking more and more likely the the Abam, uh, Abamyangs too. Did I say Abamyang? No, Willian, Abamyang, Özil. Um, they've been with big for big money and they've been sort of statement pieces and maybe this Lacazette one wouldn't have to be, you know, I think we've sort of, we made a big effort to sort of restructure our wage bill and, you know, we spend maybe a bit more on the players, but they're on lower wages. Whereas, you know, previously we were handing out mega bumper contracts to players who 
you know, we were sort of, I don't know, desperately holding on to or not really looking to the future and the value that they could have to the team on the pitch, but then also, you know, potentially in the future off the pitch and transfer fees. And Lacazette, I think, you know, he's already on something like over £150,000 a week or something like that. Um, I think he signed a very good contract when he joined Arsenal from Lyon. Um, what was it? Probably like four or five years ago now. Um, yeah, so, you know, what will he be looking for? What will we be willing to offer him? I don't think it works having, you know, the whole squad on a sort of like, you know, under 100,000, something like that. And then you've got a guy sort of 200,000, 300,000, you know, I don't think it works, especially with the sort of cohesion and unity that we're sort of building at the moment. But look, I am open to anything at the moment because it's also up in the air and it's unrealistic to suggest that, you know, we're going to get rid of all four of these strikers and get four new ones in. A few of them will be here next year. Um, it's just a case of whether they, who, which ones they will be. And at the moment, I think your argument's very valid. Uh, uh, Lacazette's the starting forward at the moment. He's contributing most on the pitch. He's playing well. He's making the players around him play well. Good attitude. So, you know, yeah, I can see why. Transfer fee as well. Somewhere, will, some club will pay between 15 to 20 million for Aubameyang. Mm. Whether that's Inter, Juventus. Some club in Italy will, will be willing to part with you know, around 20 million euros, 18 million euros for for a 31-year-old Aubameyang. Um, yeah. and, and that's a value to us, definitely. Yeah, it's definitely, he's got that pedigree and, you know, the, the wage, the sort of getting those wages off the bill and getting a transfer fee as well. I think look, if the opportunity came about and player and club were both willing to part ways, then I think it would be a shame. But, you know, we've got to start going with what's in front of us and, and what we need to do for the benefit of the, of the club as Arteta keeps pointing out, you know, it's about the club first and foremost, not about the, the sort of individuals. But look, I think let's let's move the conversation on to sort of thinking about things in a more broader sense because, you know, we mentioned the fact that Arsenal have scored 19 goals in their past five games, ironically, since Aubameyang was, uh, was dropped. And, you know, he's our, again, you can extend that irony to the fact that we've scored 19 goals in five games without our highest paid player sort of, talismanic goal scoring forward and our record signing who was also our top scorer last year I know Pepe's got a few minutes recently but it, it is crazy to sort of see the way in which this attacking unit's evolved over the year because I mean bar Willian which I think we can all cross out as a mistake and I think Arteta and Edu acknowledge that and everything seems to suggest it just didn't work out and clearly it was a poor decision but since that point um you know, it's been about youth. It's been about signing Martin Erdegaard on loan and then signing him on a permanent deal. And he's really sort of coming to, um, we're starting to reap the rewards of that signing, I think, at the moment. Smith Rowe, he's come in, he scored a few times last year and he's scored, you know, he's almost on 10 goals in all competitions. Martinelli's got six goal involvements in his last six games, which was as many as his previous 33 appearances in the competition. Um, Lacazette's playing well, obviously Saka as well. So, we finally look to have landed upon an attacking cohesion and balance, which I think has been lacking so dearly for so long now. You know, you think of the likes of starting, you know, Pepe, Lacazette and Aubameyang, and I know it did work in those sort of cup final games, but, you know, it, it was always so unbalanced and it has been for a long time now. So I think it's so lovely to see 
the team looking more balanced, the squad balanced, the age profile balanced, the the sort of unity between fans and players and between the players and players and the coach, it's all cohesive. It's all unified. And I think that's something that we can judge as a massive success um, in terms of overturning a culture, a cultural rot, which had been festering for, you know, years um, at, at the back end of Wenger's reign and Emery and, you know, changes at board level and all the rest of it. But look, we'll get on to that. Um, so ahead of the Man City game, we've played 19 games. We've won 11, we've lost six, three of those, uh, well, obviously the first three of the season against Brentford, Chelsea and City. And then we also lost against Man United, Everton, which were bad ones, and then Liverpool, which was to be expected. So out of those games, really, you say the Brentford one, we should be doing better, but COVID, unpredictable. And the Everton and United games, I think were, were pretty bad as well, but and we've drawn two. We've scored 32 goals. We've conceded 23. Uh, we've got nine goal difference, which I think is joint fourth best with West Ham now. Um, we're fourth in the table. We're six points behind Chelsea as things stand. We are five points ahead of Spurs, uh, four ahead of West Ham and seven ahead of United, albeit with United and Spurs having a couple of games uh, in hand against us. Uh, United can't go above us, even if they win their two games in hand. Yeah, exactly. Which is crazy to think of, um, you know, when we lost them like almost a month ago now, um, sort of where things have gone since then. I, I think, you know, it's really important to see how this team has responded to those two, you know, close to sort of real devastating losses. Um, and, you know, since, I mean, there's all sorts of stats flying around at the moment. As you mentioned before, we were 15th this time last year um, after Boxing Day. We, um, you know, since the transfer window closed, this transfer window in, in September when it closed, we're third in the points table um, after Liverpool and Man City. I think in 2021 in total, I think we're sort of best of the rest, Bar City and City and Liverpool. Um, I think we might even be above Chelsea since Boxing Day, um, sort of the Boxing Day to Boxing Day table. Um, but, you know, it, it shows the material progress of this team in terms of points. We're fourth. We were 15th last year. Um, you know, it's it's there. The proof's there. Um, no, 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 I was just, oh, sorry to cut in. Yeah. Uh, you off, but no, I would say it's it's actually just hearing that all back, which is the first time I've listened to it all back rather than sort of tell myself it. It's really the progress is really sort of wow, we've actually come a long way in a year. And that there is, you know, I've mentioned it already, but there really is something to be said for that. For that, and, and Arteta does deserve um, some real, real praise because he nearly went you know, back end of, of 2020 when we had that terrible seven-game winless run start of the season. You mentioned the Brentford game and the City and Chelsea games. We were rock bottom, zero goals, zero points, 20th in the league. It's it's coming together. It is coming together. And now is obviously as good a time as ever to have a, have a mid-season reflection of sorts. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's great. It's actually really, like, nice to hear all the positives for once. Yeah, exactly. And I think you raised it, what James uh, Gunnerblog said the other day about patience. And 
I found it quite disheartening at the beginning of the season to see so many Arsenal fans, you know, a lot of my friends, a lot of good Arsenal fans really slating the club and, you know, everyone's entitled to their opinions, but people were so overboard with what was going on. We were never really going to beat Chelsea and City. I think it was just the way in which we sort of lost, but, you know, there were so many mitigating circumstances and the players on the pitch and COVID and, you know, people were just willing to write off the sort of potential of these young players growing under Arteta's guidance. And I always, you know, I don't, I don't want to sort of hide away from it. I've always maintained that faith and uh, sort of commitment to the cause and wanting to back the manager and the players. Um, and look, it's reaping rewards. We, you know, you think of the guys who started that 3-1 win against Chelsea uh, last Boxing Day. It was a front four of Lacazette, Saka, Smith-Rowe and Martinelli. And those are the guys we're basically seeing, plus Erdegaard now, who are sort of driving the team forward. Um, you know, as we've mentioned uh, in previous podcasts, we're the youngest team in the league um, by a whole year, actually, on average. We're, the average age of our team is 24 years old, 230, 230 days. As I mentioned before, 32 goals we've scored this uh, season so far. Half have been scored by players under 21. So I think as we move on to sort of looking at the year as a whole, you know, I look back at our show notes. We did one of these last year and we sort of said, what do we want from this year? Where's, you know, what what, what would be constitute as a successful calendar year? I think, I'm not sure if we were expecting, I don't think we said, look, we, we expect ourselves to be fourth come this time next year. But, you know, I think we, we have to be really happy with where we are. Um, I think everyone went into this season sort of being like, look, we're not maybe expecting to finish in the top four, but we need to be in the race. We need to be close. And we have not been sort of around here for a long time. I mean, that's not strictly true. We were there with Unai Emery for a bit, but, you know, the sort of the consistency and reliability of the metrics and performances, you know, we haven't been here for a while. And um, I think, look, doubts did creep in after those United and Everton losses. They were seriously disappointing just because of the potential that I think we can see with this team. But, Look, we've bounced back. We've got the points. We're in fourth. And I think that's a really good place to sort of end this calendar year. Um, seeing the material progress that this team has made under Arteta, you sort of look at all the off-field improvements that maybe are finally sort of um, transcending onto on-pitch improvement. And we've always talked about how Arsenal's sort of rot and decline and stagnation has slowly seeped into the on-pitch underperformance. And now it looks as if that's kind of been reversed and things are starting to go our way. So, I mean, was there anything that you wanted to add on that before we sort of look back at the year as a whole and look at the sort of highlights and uh, maybe give a few awards out to to various moments and players um, just as a, as a whole? Uh, as I know, you've summed it up brilliantly, to be honest. I agree with everything you've said. Um, I, don't, I actually don't have much to add to it. Just to say, it's. I think psychologically, going into twenty twenty two in fourth place, with with that points gap. I know the teams below us have games in hand, but only Spurs can actually go above us if they win all their games in hand, and they would only be a point above us anyway. And look, we play them in three weeks, and that game's going to be massive. It's a real. It just feels nice to actually be in the mix of things. You mentioned. Um, we were sort of in the in the running for for the top four under Emery, but God, our underlying metrics were 
were dreadful and our performances were so boring to watch bar sort of a few sort of a two-month run in in sort of the autumn time but post christmas we we were not entertaining and we were just dragging our way through the league season and getting through the europa league ties and no it was a it was a it was a you know comparatively to the last two seasons we've had it was a good season we finished one point off fourth and we got to a europa league final but um the way we're playing now, the atmosphere around the club, the, the the environment is so much more positive that it's quite hard to compare the two. And yeah, psychologically, I'm really pleased with the, the team that they've got this this sort of points cushion to go into the City game um, because even if we lose 3-0, 4-0, we're still fourth. And that doesn't change after the City game. And then we go again and we've... We, yeah, the Wolves game will be rearranged, but it's just look, it shows teams drop points. Southampton um, were being written off against Spurs and they drew 1 1. People were expecting Ronaldo to score a hat trick against Newcastle and they drew 1 1. Liverpool lost 1 0 to, to Leicester. The teams that we're, we're playing against or competing against for, for fourth, fifth, and sixth, they're not going to uh, not drop points. And, and neither are we, obviously, but. We're, we've got the points on the board and those clubs don't and that psychologically is really important and so I'm, I'm pleased we've got that. Yeah, definitely. And I think, look, let's, let's, let's take our sort of various strands of what's been great about this year or the highlights, if you will. Um, I think the emergence of individuals and sort of the establishing of the young players in the team, I think Emil Smith-Rowe, I mean, has... I think probably been the player of the year just in terms of the impact he's had on the team. Um, Bakayo Saka's consistency and level of performance, I think has, has, I mean, it's exceptional for someone so young to be so mature on the ball and so consistent in his threat um, and technical assurance and, and everything, you know, his all round game, I think, and that's the key that his all round game is, is, crazy for a player so young um and i think you know arteta deserves great credit for sort of bringing these guys through properly i know they they sort of had their breakthroughs under different managers but the sort of their exponential sort of continual um improvement and progress under arteta i think is is excellent to see um you know and ironically i mean not ironically unsurprisingly saka is is the player who plays the most under Mikel arteta he's played the most games um surprisingly nicola pepe in fourth after lacazette and Xhaka, um I, I saw the other day so yeah i think that's the first thing the first highlight of the year is the emergence of young players was there any other uh, others in particular that we can sort of attribute to that category I guess look, the whole team, really, bar those three players I mentioned earlier, are, are young players. I don't know when the, when the sort of criteria stops when you transition from not being a young player. Maybe it's 23 or 22. I think you sort of look, Tommy Asu's 22, Ben White's 22, 23, Gabrielle's 22, 23, Ramsdale's 21, 22, I think. So getting, I think for me, getting a whole back line a proper defensive unit is also one of my sort of main squad highlights of the year. It's definitely the last six months. We, we've gone so many seasons chopping and changing defensive partnerships. We didn't know whether it was, who was it? Socrates or Mustafi or Louise or Mustafi or Holding or Socrates or 
holding in chambers or it was it was a it was an absolute mess and Gabrielle came in but then they were still holding and Pablo Marie and we didn't know what our best centre back pairing was and any successful team is built upon a bedrock of right it's these two centre backs week in week out they're gonna just take the reins and 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 the goalkeeper as well and so having the Ramsdale Gabrielle Ben White trio just there sitting there solid we know they're going to be there that's huge for for the rest of the team going forward for the whole defensive core look there's a bit maybe there's a bit of rotation between Kieran Tierney and Nuno Tavares but it's not the end of the world because Tierney suffers with with injuries and if we can afford to rest him every now and then we have a competent deputy I'm fine with that but we know now you know every game by and large Ramsdale's in goal, we've got Gabriel, we've got Tierney at left back. They've got a good understanding. They've been playing together for a year and a half. Ben White and Tommy Asu have built up a really good relationship. And for the first time in since probably the days of what? Kashani, Murtasaka, Bellerin, and who was our left back? Was it Gibbs? I'm not sure. I can't. Monreal, Monreal. So for probably for the first time since the Monreal Bellerin. Kashani Murtasaka back four, which has got to be a good five, six years. We we've now got a got a serious back four that I think that back four is is definitely Champions League quality. Absolutely. And I think we can sort of from that we can take as a as a sort of category in itself, you know, the the development of this defensive line as one and that can grow together. You know, these guys are all young. They're, they're, they're relatively experienced for their young age, but that is such a good thing to have that defensive stability. Because as you say, you know, I remember, I think it was this time last year, we had about 10 centre-backs on the books and it would chop and change. And we had players at the end of their contracts and players too young to be registered. And those in the middle had been at the club for about eight years. And it's just an absolute mess. And I think, you know, a, a reflection of, you know how many play, how many people had been in charge of signing different centre backs and not managing contracts properly. And now we've cleared them all out. We've got our two main guys. We've got Rob Holding still on the books, showing he's an adequate sort of stand-in as and when we need him. Hopefully, William Saliba can come in and sort of, you know, if we've got European football, he'll get games. And I'm excited about that. Um, I hope it happens because I think he's talented from what I've seen. But yeah, I think the the um, the establishment of a solid defensive foundation has been lacking at Arsenal for so long. And I think, you know, we can sort of move the conversation on to another highlight of this year, which I think has been a shift of transfer policy. Um, probably the biggest one in a way, um, along with the sort of young players emerging. I mean, when I say that, I mean sort of Haylenders and and young players who had already been at the club. But, you know, five of Arteta's six first signings were over the age of 25. Um, so it's clear, you know, that was the first intended pillar of his sort of squad building and it didn't really go the way that we'd probably want. And then I think subsequently everyone's been under the age of 23 or something like that. You know, we signed Erdegaard on loan, um, this time last year, what an astute signing that was. Um, all the players that have joined in the summer look really promising. And we compare that to sort of the Willian signing, which yes, was under Arteta's management, but you know, we can chalk that off, I think, as a mistake. They happen, whatever. 
but we've moved so far away from that. And that has been a huge part of rebuilding, I think, the trust and the unity with the fan base as well, because I think you're giving yourself no excuses or margin for error when you're playing a team with David Louise, who's just signed an extension, and Willian and Aubameyang and Lacazette and Pepe, who are all, you know, experienced or in their prime players on big money for big fees playing and they're underperforming. And now we've got a group of young players who will grow and they will make mistakes. But I think James made a really good point on the Askcast the other day. It's like some of the flaws in Arteta's teams or, you know, in our performances sort of this season are similar to those of last season. But the difference is it's young players sort of doing them and they will get better. Whereas other players who you know, Willian, who's sitting on a three-year contract, they're not going to get better. They're, they've not got no drive. So, yeah, is there anything you want to add in terms of, you know, the way in which we've shifted our policy? Because I think that is a big one, big takeaway of the year, which I think, yeah, feeds into other things, we'll, which we'll discuss afterwards. Yeah, no, it's massive. That that shift in recruitment is, is massive. And look, there was, and it's not to say there wasn't a plan before. I think the plan was quite obvious under Emery, well, even it's actually started under Wenger when he went and spent 50 million on Lacazette and then 60 million on Aubameyang six months later and did a swap deal for Alexis Sanchez to bring in a 28-year-old Mkhitaryan. Um, it was quite clear that the emphasis was on experienced players to just try and just get us straight away into the Champions League. Really, the second, the second we, uh, we left Baku, after that defeat, the the recruitment policy should have changed to what it is now. They kept with it for another sort of season or two, looking at experienced players, Socrates, Leno, Lichsteiner, were bought in. And look, they weren't purely um, experienced signings. We signed you know, Gwenduzi, who was at the time a very good signing for six million quid from, from Lorient. And Torreira was only 22 when he signed who I still sort of wish had worked out because, again, he was a tenacious little midfielder that I really liked. But the, but the big emphasis is, um, is sort of happened now. Project Youth is, is firmly on the agenda. And I think Edu deserves quite a lot of credit for that as well because, look, Sanielli really tainted the, the image of sporting director, director of football uh, for Arsenal fans because... He was quite clearly just in the pocket of agents and, and none more so than Keir Jarabchin. And we saw that by who we signed. And Edu, rightly or wrongly, has been accused of similar. And look, I'm not saying he's not, or I'm not saying he doesn't have close relationships because we've signed under his watch Pablo Marie and Cedric, and they're also represented by certain agents. But look, we've also gone out and signed Ramsdale, who was getting battered in the press. He had to turn off his Instagram comments before he signed because too, so many people were sort of telling him he's shit before he'd even played a game for Arsenal. He's now the, you know, only three keepers in Arsenal's history have got to 10 clean sheets quicker than him. Uh, and one of those is David Seaman, who's probably the best goalkeeper in the history of the club. So I think he's shown a willingness to adapt he's shown flexibility and he's conducted some really really good business Tommy Asu for 18 million looks like an absolute bargain Erdegaard for 30 million when uh, James Madison was trying to force to remove which would have cost over double again great piece of business 
and uh, and between him and Arteta, they've got a really clear vision and they're executing it and can't complain. Yeah, I think definitely. And I think that that sort of transmits itself into, you know, rebuilding a, a fractured relationship between fans and players and club and fans and club and players. Just everything has been toxic and fractured and very close to exploding um, for a long time now. And I think we're not quite over the hill yet, but I think, you know, the, the change of policy, we've got a lot more likable young players who we've got patience with. The whole atmosphere around the club is better. Um, I think that's helped rebuild the sort of relationship between fans and players. And I think, look, a big part of that obviously was, you know, we didn't have what maybe it's hard to assess how fans may have impacted, you know, the season where we were playing behind closed doors because, you know, we went through our worst patch at that point and it wouldn't be be beyond the realms of possibility that Arteta's gone because we're so upset with him. So maybe that helped him keep his job. But, you know, I think the fans rebuilding that relationship with the team has come at a brilliant time and we're seeing the sort of benefits of that in terms of, you know, it mutually feeds into improving the team and giving them confidence and then also you know, and then that feeds back to the fans and it's just like this sort of, you know, Arteta's been banging on about it for a while, like needing our people and this synergy between fans and players. And, you know, we've seen it in, you know, successive North London derby wins at the Emirates. We saw it in a brilliant win against West Ham. The atmosphere was great. Um, you know, you've mentioned a few of the games that you've been to where the atmosphere has been excellent. Um, and the away fans have sort of consistently been brilliant too. Um so I think that's another big thing, sort of rebuilding that connection between fans and and team. And um, yeah, I think that that comes under culture, doesn't it? That comes under a culture reset, um, both internally and externally. And I think that's that is the main thing that Arteta sort of um, uh, advocated for when he. I remember his first press conference, and he said, "Look, we 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 can't be here. Like it's about the way we live. It's about how how we do things." And I think. We're seeing that the players are doing things to a higher standard and to a more consistent standard. And that is a minimum requirement. And then, you know, from there, there's less volatility from fans and and outbursts. And yes, there are still occasional difficulties. But I think those things, the, the cultural shift that has been um sort of constructed by all those different factors we've just mentioned, I think is huge and another sort of big umbrella positive from, from the year. Um, and then apart from that, I mean, I think those sorts of things are, are the big highlights of the year as, as broad terms. I mean, I think, you know, you can look at someone like Gabrielle's development as well. I think he's becoming a really big player for us um, and sort of just, you know, the irony of sort of, you know, this time last year, I was looking through show notes, as I said before, and sort of looking ahead to the to the year of 2021 and, and how we can move forward. And on there was, we need to get rid of Ozil, Socrates and Mustafi. And it's, it's crazy to think that they were there less than a year ago. And it just shows how much has been done in such a short space of time and how important that's been. Um, and, you know, we're also forgetting Arteta... This is his first job and he's running one of the, you know, he's manager of one of the biggest clubs in the world. And it's like, I mean, I'm sorry, you know, he's not got everything right, but, and I know everything's rosier when we're winning, but when we win, our perspective is such that 
we can reflect on the brilliant job he's doing. And like, given everything he's faced, he is doing an exceptional job. Do you not think? Like, maybe that's going overboard, but like, he is. Except, I don't know if I would use the word exceptional, but he he's he's a manager. He, you know, to yeah, to no things. I just I know where you're coming from. I do know where you're coming from. If you really yeah, sort I've, of zoom out. Big bird's eye view of, of two like it was two years, it's basically two years to the week since he took over. Yeah. You contextualize it with the pandemic, you contextualize it with Sagnelli sort of leaving in the circumstances he left. You can you know, he's he's done a good job. I think the the clearing out and the changing of the culture is is cannot be uh overstated it's so important what he's doing just i know we sort of think of him sometimes or we frame him as this yeah he used the word himself a dictatorial manager he's not we see guardiola do it we see Klopp do it with the best managers they set principles and the players have to stick by them look how many great players really great, great players didn't cut it at Guardiola's um, Barcelona and Bayern Munich. I mean, Zlatan is the obvious one. Got rid of Ronaldinho straight away. (laughs) Ronaldinho, Deco, Zlatan, Yaya Torre. Um, There were, I think there were a few at Bayern as well. But, um, but, you know, they, he really sets the bar and Arteta has learned from that and you can really see how Arteta has learned from that and and I've got no issues with it because at the end of the day the club is always bigger than any player mm. and it's about making sure that there's a real culture of of respect and harmony and togetherness but also one that's competitive one that wins um, and one that really is pushing all the individuals that make up the organization to, to succeed and to, to sort of be the best versions of themselves. And, and under the, you know, the last season of Wenger and the Emery era, and sort of last season, which was yeah, Arteta's first full season, it clearly wasn't the case because you had a lot of rotten eggs in the basket, whether it was Ozil, Mustafi, David Luiz, Willian, Socrates, I'd say Kalasnach is still there, but he's the last of them to go. Well, all my I add just cut across you there, who are all nearly as old as him. And I don't know if that's like yeah. a fact, but like also all probably on more money than him as well. I don't know if that sort of makes a difference, but yeah, please go on. No, I think that's that's definitely a valid point. It's quite clear that he he's a better coach to younger players. And it makes sense because it's harder to coach people who are your age or older and arguably some of them are more experienced or have, have won more, been more successful as, as footballers, not necessarily obviously as coaches. But he's clearly, a, and we saw this at City, he was a great coach to Sane and Sterling and they were both very young. They were sort of Saka and Smith-Rowe's age when he was coaching them very hands-on. So the fact that he's now taking that approach and uh, helping to progress Martinelli, the Hailenders, um, the the young defenders as well. It, it's it's great, and I don't think anyone's ever doubted his coaching abilities. It's more been his managerial abilities and and sort of the the sort of larger picture 
elements that come with being a manager, press conferences, dealing with players uh, outside of just a purely coaching role. But yeah, I don't know if I'd use the word exceptional. If I had to give him a rating out of out of 10, I would probably give him a, a seven. But um, but you know, he's he's definitely progressed a lot. Yeah, and I think just on that, like, I think no one's doubted his coaching. I mean, actually, that's not true. People have doubted his capacity to implement his supposed tactical prowess. You know, he's he's renowned as one of the one of the best young and up and coming guys in the game. Um, but you know, I guess also we've sort of seen an alignment, a necessary alignment between having a guy who's a good coach and a first time manager. Don't give him a squad full of like older, more experienced, not just more experienced, but sort of, you know, big names, big egos who, you know, aren't, you know, they're not easy to manage. It's not an easy thing to do. How can you expect a first time manager to sort of manage these guys whilst also coaching, whilst also like bringing through all these young players? I think his job seems to have been simplified over the last sort of, you know, few months because of the way in which we've shifted our approach in the transfer window and, and the pro, the player profile and, you know, the huge work that has been done by Edu and him to sort of cull the, the, uh, the remnants of a, of a mess of a sort of 10 years, five, 10 years at the club. Um, but yeah, I also wanted to say, I think, you know, um, I said, yeah, exceptional is probably going quite, quite far, but as you say, when you look at it from a sort of, you know, contextually and sort of what he's doing, like, can he do, of course he can do much more, but I think, you know, with these young players at the moment, like most of the things when they go well are sort of what you want to see. And I know there's still scope for improvement as there always is. And as he acknowledges, I think we're in a really good position. And I think, you know, it reminds me of a um, an Arsene Wenger quote. And I think it's the one that he sort of put up. Uh, the club asked him to, to choose a few words to be displayed next to a, a picture of him just in the tunnel before the players go out. And I think it's something like, you know, here's the opportunity for these players or he dresses them directly, you know, this is your opportunity to sort of achieve greatness, like make the most of it, or along those lines. And, you know, how do you do that? How do we make the most of having these exceptional talents of Saka and Smithrow and maybe Martinelli and, um, Erdegaard perhaps, how do we ensure that we are not going to just waste them away or or not maximise, you know, the fortune and hard work that the club have put in by establishing this sort of elite culture in a way where everyone treats each other in the same way, everyone's got the same criteria, um, something that Arteta's learned because that is how you're going to get the most out of these players. And I think it's great to see them performing at such a high level. And I think so much of that is to do with the fact that the foundations are being set up to tailor specifically to, you know, giving these guys a platform to express themselves. And yeah, I think that is, that is so encouraging to see. Um, so yeah, I think that's sort of where I want to leave it in terms of uh, general highlights. I mean, do you have a, you know, I mentioned my player of the year, 2021, I think it's Smith Rowe for me. Did you have an alternative? I think if I looked at the player of the year for all of 2021, I'd probably go Saka mm. just because of 
the role he played in the Euros. And I know that's not Arsenal, but yeah. God did it the Euros so much more enjoyable actually having um, an Arsenal player no. play for England and, and obviously England getting to the, the final for the first time since 1966 was was massive and and then everything he went through missing the penalty obviously the abuse he received was abhorrent and the way everyone um irrespective of who they supported sort of united around him and then Sancho and Rashford as well and he even got applauded by Spurs fans in the pre-season friendly I remember being really taken aback when he was brought on against Brentford in the first game of the season and all the Brentford fans stood up and gave him a round of, of applause. It, it made me really, really proud on, on, a, on a level that sort of transcended, oh, he's an Arsenal player. It was, it was, he's like one of us and the whole nation was really respectful of that. And, um, and look, it doesn't stop him getting booted by fullbacks every five minutes, but... And not and nor should it, but it was really, really um, sort of heartwarming to to see without getting uh, going too overboard. If I had to pick my player of the season for the twenty one twenty two campaign thus for, thus far now at the halfway point, it would be Smith Rowe, just because of the amount of goals he's been getting, the dynamism he brings to the team, the way he runs with the ball at pace. Um, I know one was an assist and one ended up being a goal, but the 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 assist he got for Aubameyang in the North London derby, and then the goal he scored against Aston Villa at home when Aubameyang sort of played the outside of the ball pass into the left hand channel, going up towards the the opponent's goal. The directness he has to sprint into the box, carry um, carry the ball. You know, who was up against, I think it was Davison Sanchez, who's definitely no slouch himself in the North London derby, and then Tyrone Mings against Villa, can match them for pace whilst he's got the ball as well. And then end product, whether that's finding a man or finding the back of the net. He, he I didn't think he would add that to his game so quickly. I know we all speak about what he brought to the team from Boxing Day last season, but I don't think he necessarily maintained that level of performance all through the second half of last season, whereas he's just been amazing. And, and, and we've, how, how often have we been complaining about the lack of goals from midfield in recent seasons? The fact that he's got eight Premier League goals, I mean, it's a goal more than Cristiano Ronaldo and he hasn't even scored a penalty. It's, it's, it's quite astonishing. So I definitely say player of the year for me would be Saka, Player yeah. of the season would be um, would be Smith Rowe thus far. Who would be your signing of the season if you had to pick one out? So, signing of this, yeah. So I guess that it, that encompasses January transfer window and and the summer window. But yeah, signing of the this calendar year. I mean, um, Matt, Matt Ryan would also be mine before you say it. I forgot about him. What what a good lad. Um, Look, I probably have to go Tomiyasu at right back, to be honest, because I think we've struggled at right back for a long time. And I I think that Ramsdale's been transformative, but, you know, Leno is a decent keeper and I know he wasn't in the best form, but I think 
Tomiyasu has been transformative to the way in which he's sort of um, helped out Ben White and helped out Saka on the right-hand side. I think he's been brilliant defensively, very good holding the shape in an attacking sense as well. I think he's uh, sort of surpassed expectations. So for me, I think Tomiyasu as a sort of maybe a bit of a left-field signing of the season. Um, and just to go back on my player of the year, yeah, I think um, Smith-Rowe overall, um, but if I could give a, a young player and and player, I think, you know, Saka and Smith-Rowe, it's a toss-up, really. Um, Who, who's the young player? I'd give Saka. Saka is younger than Smith-Rowe. <laughs> I'd give him younger. But, you know, at the same time, you know, player of the season so far, I mean, I mean, signing of the season, I'd go Tommy Yasu, but player, I mean, maybe Gabriel, to be honest. I think Gabriel's been excellent. Um a real sort of leader and and linchpin and dominant and athletic and powerful. And I think, you know, it's everything that we thought he'd be. And I know he, he, he started well last year, but, you know, I remember when James McNicholas wrote a piece about him when he joined Arsenal and he was known as the Colossus um, in France. And I think we're really seeing it, but I'm, maybe that does him a bit of a disservice because he's not, he's not uh, sort of clumsy. I think he's actually quite elegant for a guy so big. Um, so, yeah, I'd probably go that. What about you? Yeah, I think my signing of the season would be Ramsdale. Yeah. Just, just because uh, there's so many factors it's on the pitch. Wow. I mean, what, what more can you say? 10 clean sheets in 17 Arsenal games. Yeah. Some of the most incredible saves. I mean, there's all, the Leicester one, well, from the James Madison free kick is the, is the one that stands out. But, I think he made three or four saves in that game that were all world-class. He made that incredible save um, from Lucas Moura in the North London derby. He's, he's just making saves that he really shouldn't be making. And I think right now he can, he can honestly claim to have been perhaps the best keeper in the league for the first half of the season. Oh, no. Maybe join you with Edison, maybe. But I, I think- guess you know, Edison's not facing as many shots as, as Ramsdale. Yeah, I think Gary Neville and Jamie Carragher might have put him in their team of the season so far, or maybe they... Yeah. Carragher had him as, as as signing of the season. Yeah, so look, he's getting the plaudits he deserved, especially after the sort of criticism and doubts over his abilities. And look, I wasn't over the moon, but I wasn't one of the people sort of saying, this is an absolute joke. And a lot of people... Were, you know, would sort of come up to me, fellow football fans would be like, what are Arsenal doing spending, you know, upwards to 30 million pounds? And look, it's a big fee, but it looks as if it's it's been money well spent thus far and silencing those critics. So yeah, I can't argue with that, to be honest. Um, what else are we going to do? Goal of the year? Does anything stand out for you? Goal goal of the year. Just briefly touching on Ramza before I give you my my goal of the year. And I'm definitely not racking my brain for goals while while I'm while I'm doing this. But I just wanted to mention the other reason why I would say he's my signing of the season is there's two two other reasons. One, how he's just an absolute shit house for yeah. the opponents fans, and and I love that. And he unites our fan base, and you know whether it's the Leeds fans or the Leicester fans or. Uh, the Everton fans, a- a- everywhere he goes, he gets under their skin whilst, but, but not in a menacing way, just in like, a f- uh, just in just the best way possible. I don't really know how to describe it. 
yeah. and he's you know he did the Ben Foster podcast recently and and he's sort of worked with with content creators to give Arsenal fans a bit more of an insight into whether it was his transfer to Arsenal into the atmosphere in the dressing room. And I I really appreciate that as a as a young Arsenal fan who's really been brought up in this sort of environment or culture where we just seek more and more content. I I enjoy that. And um and off the pitch as well, he's he's clearly a leader. Um well, I, I don't think we have any doubt that eventually he'll be England's number one. Oh, yeah. And that's, <laughs> it's Pickford, I mean, let's be real here. But yeah, I'm also, like, he's so driven and professional. You know, he's done a few times, he's fronted up to the press, always very self-observant and, and critical. And, and you can tell that he really takes his work seriously. He shouts at the defenders when they don't do their job. He shouts at Thomas Partey or whoever it might be. It doesn't matter. His, you know, he's very, I like his... The, uh, the sort of energy he transmits, as Arteta would say, um, his attitude, his his ability to sort of bounce back maybe from, from errors. His head doesn't go down in a way that maybe Leno's might when he's in a bad patch of form. And he's just a different character to Leno. But I think, you know, with this young team, I think it's a necessary character. So, yeah, I completely agree with you in, in, in that regard. Um, have you got a goal? Yeah, goal of the season. There's been weirdly, there's been quite a few. I mean, I saw Arsenal.com release a video. I don't know if you watched it recently. Of like, yeah, they, they put Lacazette's goal against Sheffield United as as goal of the season, which wasn't, which wouldn't have been my goal of the season. It was a good goal. It was a very good goal. Danny Ceballos. I, I think. Well, Pepe scored a great goal. Who was it against? Was it against West Brom at the end of last season when William it was William actually scored a very good free kick? It was his only goal for us. I think I would probably have Pepe's goal or maybe Erdegaard's goal against Olympiakos mm. as just as just a pure strike of a, of a football. Those mm. were two fantastic goals. If I was picking a team goal, it would definitely be. Um, Sackers against West Brom for me. Yeah. Yeah. Would, yeah. Those would be my sort of goals of the of the season. Yeah. Of the year. Sorry. For me, um see, I obviously I love those Pepe's got those Pepe goals, but you know, there were a few of them towards the back end of last season. And I almost maybe it's unfair, but I don't judge them in the same way that I would others goals that really matter. I mean, obviously every goal matters, but you know, it's the end of the season, we were out of Europe. You know, we were playing relegated teams, so they were brilliant strikes. I remember that West Brom one was excellent. Um, in terms of goals that I'm not going to do it on best goals, it's goals that really just stand out to me that I really like. To be fair, you know, which goal I really liked of Pepe's was against Wolves last season. Um, oh, amazing off. I mean, it's a shame because he did some, he was exceptional in that game, and then David Luiz got sent off, not his fault, to be honest, and then we lost the game. But, um, you know, that goal was. A couple of nutmegs and then on his weak foot. I mean, it was it was sensational what he did. Um, and I, you know, I also really, really liked Saka's goal against uh, Newcastle when we were struggling to break the deadlock in the home game this season. And he he got the ball and he arrowed a finish across the face of the goal, and it was such a clean strike. And I think that was a moment where you know we we were sort of struggling a bit to break down these teams. And then Saka really just, you know, he, he went off injured, but he took the game by the scruff of the neck. He was looking really dangerous and he scored the goal. And I think, you know, we can sort of view that goal as like a, 
a template for sort of what we've seen over the last few games from these young players. So for me, those two are sort of left field suggestions that stand out. But yeah, that that pep was was great too. Um, I've just thought of one more, which was Lacazette's goal against Southampton the other week, which was like pure Arteta ball, starting with Ramsdale, oh, yeah, one touch passing all the way out to the flank, and then it was cut back and it was a sort of rifled into the top right hand corner, I believe. That from Lacazette. That 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 sort of goal. That sort of goal because we scored a few like those um, under Arteta, especially in that FA Cup run. Mm. Uh, always really really enjoyable to watch, and and that was a great goal. But look, we scored we scored quite a few good goals as as we should be doing. Just coming to mind, you know, I think given that we grew up sort of with Thierry Henry and. Then Theo Walcott, I know not to sort of compare them, but the sort of sorts of goals where, you know, someone's clean through on goal and then they finish. And Aubameyang's done it a few times, but we don't have those goals too often um, these days. And, and I think Martinelli's, you know, we saw it against Chelsea a few years ago, which we all loved in his composure in front of goal, but his goal against um, against Leeds as well, that second one, I think was excellent, the way he took that. Um, you know, it was reminiscent of Theo Walcott, but you know Alexis Sanchez, just recently good goal scorers who sort of put the ball in the back of the net. So I like that one as well. Um, so yeah, we've scored some good goals. We've had some good moments. We've got our players. I mean, let's quickly just think of a few things that maybe we, we'd like to leave in, in 2021 um, before we have a final assessment and leave it there for today. So, I mean, the first thing that sort of comes to mind is uh, going out to Villarreal in the semi-finals of the Europa League. I mean, I was, uh, yeah, I struggled with that to be honest. Um, you know, the performances, the the Unai Emery factor of it. Um, I think we did. Did we watch those games together? I can't remember. We watched one of them maybe together. Was it the first leg? The first leg, which I think we just about managed to get a goal or something, or uh, score the penalty. Yeah, it was one all, I think, but we didn't deserve it. Um, and then the second leg was was even more dreadful. Um, so I think that's one that comes to mind big time because it was also, it was confirmation of what we'd seen throughout that season in the early part, but also actually after the new year, we had quite a few performances at home where we just lost 1-0 and we were insipid and couldn't create anything. Uh, you know, we lost to, I think it was Wolves. Uh, no, not Wolves. That was earlier in the season, but there were a few later on in the season against Everton, I think. Um couple more so yeah those sorts of performances that and culminated in that Villarreal Villarreal loss I think for me was a big one um what about you yeah I would agree the Villarreal loss was the real black marker um I I know some people would say the start of this season I wouldn't I just think there were so many extenuating circumstances yeah firstly you know, as, and we've seen it now because it's really prevalent in the league. The COVID situation is the Brentford game. I feel like now I can quite confidently just write that off and just say, look, our, we, our squad was decimated with COVID. Yeah. And then we played the two best teams in Europe last season's Champions League finalists back to back. Not even with, with, with the kind of players we had on the pitch, having not signed a lot of the players that we subsequently signed. I mean, yeah. Got, sorry. Exactly. So I, I would say for me, yeah, the only real black marker would, was really that that Villarreal game. I think that some of the, as you mentioned, the insipid performances as well to the end of last season. I remember that Everton loss. There were probably there were a few others. I remember. <laughs> um, sorry. 
We watched that as well together, I remember. Yeah. Oh, yeah, we did. God, we did. I remember that now. That was yeah. in the league as well. I guess that was a low at one point and then a high because it got tossed in the bin. But we sort of forgot about that in a way. Just Yeah. Yeah. I mean, broadening out and looking at sort of the year that football has had as a, as a global sport, as an industry, it's been a crazy year. And, and, and I'm sure somewhere down the line, there's a, there's a yearly review on the cards of just, you know, the transfer activity, what's gone on in Spain with Barcelona. Um, Messi moving, Ronaldo going back to the, Yeah, Messi, Ronaldo. Um, the, the, you know, Arsene Wenger is really pushing the biannual World Cup. FIFA are really going for that. That's come to a head this year and will only sort of maintain... Um, relevance in, in international football circles there, there is really there's been a lot of change and um, and yeah it's been a crazy year for football I think the Super League obviously is is the most clear example of, of what's gone on and was was it was, was it a low it was definitely a low it was just like a dr- i was drowned in, in the super yeah, league for like 48 hours and then i felt like some scuba diver just grabbed me as i was drowning and just picked me up and i had some oxygen when um i think it was chelsea were the first club to publicly um sort of step away from it but look it's not that super league's not going anywhere it, it's sort of on hold but, um, <laughs> sorry, or three members to the Super League. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Juve, Barcelona, Madrid. They're still members of it. There's a court case that's that's going to be going to the um, court of arbitration for sport in yeah. in the new year. Where and, and the Super League have very good lawyers, and they, I, I think they'll they'll beat UEFA. And it might not be a closed shop. It might be just a challenge to the Champions League and to UEFA's dominance for sort of European football, but it's not kid ourselves. It's not, it's not, it's not gone. It was just paused. Yeah. Uh, yeah. On, on that note, that, that's probably, I don't have much else to add. Really. Yeah. I mean, look, let's, let's round up then. I mean, the only thing, I mean, I, I put Willian in the show notes, but that wasn't technically sort of part of the calendar year, but something that we, can write off just that whole thing and I guess the Aubameyang situation is also a big you know minus point this year I guess Aubameyang in general this year just in terms of you know we had the unfortunate illness of his mother he had he had malaria um he was dropped for the Spurs game because of being late he had COVID and then you know he's dropped for being late again and then stripped of the captaincy so I think actually Aubameyang's presence around the club has actually been a big low for the for for everyone this year unfortunately and no one wants to say that but um hopefully that can be resolved one way or another um and i think also you know another thing we have to mention even though it might benefit us and we wouldn't want to have been playing in the uh the conference league but you know it's the first time in 25 years that we had no european football i think that's got to be a low light and something that we do not want to happen again um so look, let's 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 round things up because we've talked about a lot today, and I think some really good stuff. Um, I think we are in a place that sort of aligns with where we would have anticipated wanting to be at this stage. Um, I think we're seeing the cultural reset and process of resetting in action and 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 bearing fruits. I think, you know, 
I remember thinking last year, this time last year, you know, wanting to finish in a European place, good run in the Europa League and seeing sustained improved performances. We didn't hit the first. We didn't really hit the second because I don't think you can say it was a good run in the Europa League. I meant sort of getting to the final, uh, not losing to Unai Emery's Villarreal in the in the semis. And improved performances, we got a bit and we've started to get them now. And look, I think where we want to be this time next year, whether we finished in the top four or not, I, I still don't think it, we're favourites. But, you know, we want to be in with a shout. We need to be finishing fifth or sixth. We want to be back in Europe. We want to be hopefully getting to a cup final or two, be that in the FA Cup or Carabao Cup. Um, and the performances and 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 levels of of consistency improving, and, and they are improving. So I expect that to continue. That's where we need to be this time next year. I think, you know, we we will be expecting a top four finish um, this time next year, big time, um, come May or something like that. So that's sort of what I want to see um, in terms of assessing where we stand at the moment. Um, what about you? Yeah, I, I agree. I completely agree. I think it'd be good to get to the Carabao Cup final. It's obviously going to be tough to win it. There's three top teams left. Um, I actually quite like the draw. Klopp will rotate for the for those games as he always does, and they're going to be without their two best players, who will be at Afcon. We played so a couple of times, haven't we, in the Carabao Cup recently? I know, yeah. and we've actually with a rotated side, they've been quite crazy games, and I think. They've maybe Two won penalty shootouts. They won one and we won one. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. We we, we lost that five five that ridiculous game at Anfield um, two seasons ago, and then they won on penalties. And then I think it was a nil nil. It was like the opposite. Also at Anfield, and then we won on penalties. Yeah. Uh, but they were sort of third round games. And yeah. look, they'll take it seriously. They, there's no doubt he wants to win that competition, but he will rotate. There's no Salah and Mane, so I don't write us off for, for, for to getting to the final. I think if we can be within three points of the top four come April, come April, May, that, that would be really exciting. Be in the race for the top four, that's, that's what exactly. we, we expect and what we need, and I think that's not out of... That's not um, sort of outside expectations. That's not asking for too much, I think, this season. We're not asking for a guaranteed top four finish, which, you know, maybe that's expecting too less. But I think when you look at the competition and the inexperience and the youth and all the rest of it, I mean, a strong domestic finish, close, if not fourth or, you know, third or whatever, then, you know, we need to be in and around it, finishing convincingly fifth, really or sixth um and ensuring that we get Europa League next year ideally you know Champions League but I don't know if we're ready for that um and yeah I, I agree with everything that you were saying I mean I think as we say as we said earlier the sort of turnaround yeah. the last couple of years has been incredible and in a in a sort of literal sense but also in a in a positive sense it has also been very important for the club to do that and it's been done well and I think we can leave it on a note of seeing saying that you know there's a project here there's a direction there's a um a unity and a sort of uh cohesion between players and then player and manager 
manager and fans, fans and players, club, everything. It's sort of all aligning because of the clear parameters and evident sort of uh, identity of the club. And I think that's crazy because we've been searching for that for so long and it looks as if it's sort of emerging now. These young players are defining our culture and, and identity and, and that's where we're going and we've sort of drawn a line under where we have been and where we are now and that's how we can move forward. So is there anything else that you wanted to add before we round up for the year? I think no. Let's let's go for it. Let's round up. Happy New Year to to everyone that's listening to this and and to yourself. And we'll we'll catch up in the new year, won't we? After the invariable drubbing on New Year's Day. Ah, come on. Let's not leave it on that. But yeah, um, yeah. Happy New Year to you. Happy New Year to you. Yeah. Um, a pleasure uh, to be to have been talking to you this year, and and also anyone else, all the other guests who have come on to the podcast um we're looking we've got some big things planned for for the year 2022 obviously i'll be finishing university and getting getting myself a job and we've got some already exciting projects lined up um for the podcast which is now might i add available on all your traditional streaming services spotify apple Podcasts, google podcasts acast along as along with mixed cloud so you know there's no excuses now it's everywhere and we're we're really gonna gonna sort of get working on some exciting stuff so look really appreciate everyone's time this year and um we'll be back 2022 baby um who knows where we're going to be going hopefully on the up as we have been recently so a pleasure as always johnny um and we shall speak in the new year cheers yeah we'll speak in the new year up the gunners up the gunners indeed and you can find johnny on twitter at johnny rosen one be sure to follow football transfer news on facebook and football transfer news underscore official too especially given that we are about to be entering the january transfer window i think we'll definitely have a a transfer special podcast at some point because i think there will be some arsenal activity going on as always thanks for listening merry christmas happy new year don't forget you can find all the podcasts via my twitter page and all the streaming services i've mentioned um you can find me on twitter at alfie steiner one and until next time take it easy stay safe and wishing you a happy new year Through the fire.